You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. Everybody else, we're going to be continuing our series in the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be starting in chapter 4, verse 35. If, you, uh, if you're using the Bible provided for you in the pew, that's uh, page 839. Or, uh, of course, many of you have a gospel according to Mark journal. If you didn't get one of those, we'll be glad to get one for you uh, on your way out so that you can use it as well. Let's go to Lord in prayer as we continue our time gathered this morning. Father God, we thank you that we are your people. Not because of anything good in us, not because of who we are or the family we came from. As we sang earlier, we are to to praise and glorify you because of your work in us. Because you sent your son for us. Father, we... Thank you, and as your people, we praise you. You are indeed worthy because you are God, and there is none like you in heaven or on earth. Father, as we come to you this morning, we do come with thanks and praise for the birth of Mariah, and certainly we pray that you would watch over and bless her as she grows up. Help Hunter and Abigail to raise her and and to raise Eliana and any other children that you may give them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, we pray that for all of our parents and certainly for all of the children. Help us to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we pray that from young ages that you would bring them to know you. Father, we pray as well for Solomon and Kelsey and little Robbie, as they prepare to come next Sunday, we pray that you would work out all those details and that they would be able to be among us. And we pray that you would uh, uh, prepare us for their coming and Lord, guide us as a church as we look to affirm him for this important role. Father, we pray as well for the family of uh, Jack Mihas as they Mourn their loss, but Lord, as he goes home, as he's gone home to be with you, we ask that, Lord, you would give comfort in these days to his family and friends. Father, we pray for those among us who are serving. Thank you for our deacons, Lord. Thank you for all the work that they do so often behind the scenes, but thank you for them, God, the way that they visit, the way that they uh, the way that they serve to call people and make sure that our members are cared for and even plan for events and just the various ways that they serve. We thank you for them, God. We pray as they start this new uh, season of serving together with e- even some changes in, uh, in who uh, is on the deacons. We pray, God, that they would be able to serve together well and that you would lead them to be a united team in serving your body with joy. 
Father, we ask as we come to your word in Mark, open our eyes to behold Jesus, the one who indeed before whom demons tremble, before whom darkness and evil cannot stand. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to behold him and that indeed it would be only the fear of the Lord that would remain in our hearts. Lord, we ask you to work by your spirit in us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most popular Bible apps available is the YouVersion Bible app. Many of you probably have it on your smartphones. It's used worldwide. And according to the makers of YouVersion, the most shared, bookmarked, and highlighted verse for 2023 was Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will cause you, to, or I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This has actually been the most popular verse three out of the past four years. And I think it ought to be pretty obvious why. We live in a world in which there is much to fear. I mean, there's political turmoil, natural disasters, wars, disease, financial instability. There's just the social anxieties that we all face, whether you're a teenager or whether you're a young adult going into the workplace or off to college for the first time, or whether you've been working for years and find yourself preparing for retirement. Now, fear in and of itself is a God-given response, and there's a healthy sort of fear. It's a healthy fear that if you see a poisonous king cobra, that you don't just approach it, but that you walk the other way. But that healthy fear can easily become excessive, can become controlling, even a debilitating sort of fear. What antidote is there for such fear? As we look through our passage today, we'll see the antidote for fear is faith. A confident trust in Jesus, the Son of God. As we continue through Mark today, our passage really is is an amazing passage. It's long, so we're not going to be able to uh, spend a lot of time on all of it, looking at all the details, but we'll see who Jesus is and how amazing he truly is. And as we've seen over the past several weeks, Jesus has been proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, of his saving reign. And after he described the kingdom through parables, as we saw last Sunday, Mark today shows us the power of the kingdom breaking into this present age through four scenes from the life and ministry of Jesus. So my call to you this morning, the main idea is this, do not fear. 
but confidently trust in Jesus who has compassion and all power to save and to restore God's peace. And we'll see that the, the, these four scenes each give us a reason that we can trust Jesus. And so you're going to see four reasons you can trust Jesus rather than being crushed by fear. Fear, of course, comes in, in many forms, as we'll see. But the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses them all. So first, looking at chapter 4, verse 35 through, cha- through verse 41... My call to you is do not fear, but confidently trust Jesus. Because Jesus, the almighty maker, is with you. Look at me at verses 35 and 36. Mark writes, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. That's after a full day of preaching. And other boats were with him. Now, Mark's not going to tell us what happens to those other boats. That's, this is the only place that's noted. Well, verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling A little bit of geography can help you understand what's going on here. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by hills. And it's normally very calm, including in the evenings, which is when this is taking place. I was there in 2019 and we went out on a Friday evening and it was calm as could be. Got to watch the sunset there on the Sea of Galilee, and it was amazing. But due to the geography and the climate of the region, the lake is actually prone to sudden, violent downdrafts and windstorms. As we see here, Mark says this was a great windstorm, and we'll see that that word great will be important. Verse 38 But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Now, I can understand. Jesus has been preaching all day. I can tell you, after preaching one sermon, I'm usually tired. You know, preaching all day, Jesus is exhausted. And so he's sleeping, and there's a contrast here. Jesus has enough peace because because he has trust in his Father in heaven that he can sleep no matter what's happening. And then there are his disciples who are panic-stricken, completely overcome with fear. Verse 39, we read, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Did you see that with just a word? Jesus calmed the sea and the wind. Because the wind and the waves still know the voice of their maker and obey him. And there's this eerie calm. That There was this great windstorm. Now there's a great calm. 
Then verse 40, Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You can imagine the disciples here as there's just this eerie calm that they're wide-eyed with mouths wide open just staring at Jesus and then looking at each other. And all that they can do is ask each other, who is this? The wind and the sea obey him. And this isn't so much a, you know, well, who is this guy? I wonder who he could be that the wind and the sea obey him. No, this is a, there's only one who controls the wind and the sea. These are good synagogue attending Jews. They know their Old Testaments. They would know passages like Psalm 65, verses 5 and through 7. This says, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Likewise, they would have known Psalm 89, verse 9. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You, God, you still them. Again, Psalm 107, verse 29. He that is God made the storm to be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. They're drawing the conclusion here. Their eyes are being opened. We know who this guy is. This is... Yahweh, come in the flesh. Nobody else can do this. And that's exactly who he is. Jesus has come to restore his creation as it was meant to be. Rather than the wind and the waves being these chaotic forces that bring death and destruction. Instead, they're now calm and at peace. They have shalom. There is God meant them to be. And here we see Jesus gives us a foretaste of the invincible power of his kingdom breaking into this fallen world. And one day, as Romans 8 tells us, Jesus is going to return and God is going to set the entire cosmos as it's meant to be, set it free from sin and from death. Maybe you're here today wondering, what does that have to do with me? You know, some of you are facing cancer in your lives. Or others of you are facing other health crises or your loved ones are. Maybe you're going through some financial struggles or relationship issues, different crises that may be beyond your control. So you have these great storms in your own life How does Jesus, being in the boat with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, how does Jesus return one day to set everything right? What does that have to do with you today? You see, Jesus is greater than whatever you are facing. Whatever you are facing, 
has come to you through the hands of the sovereign maker who cares for you. Nothing comes into your life apart from him. As great as the storm was, as great as the calm was, as great as the disciples' fear was, Jesus is greater. What you need to do is remember that if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, his promise is to be with you. You need to be mindful of that truth throughout your life. You need to remind yourself of who Jesus is. You need to remind yourself of all that he's done for you and remind yourself of his promises to you. And remind yourself that he is the one who is with you. You see, trust isn't something that you can somehow manufacture. Trust comes as you behold Jesus as he truly is. It is a response to him, as we see here. Then going on to chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, I see that you can... Confidently trust, why? Because Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, is victorious. Verses 1 through 5, we read that they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Look at how Mark describes this man. He's got an unclean spirit. He's living in an unclean place among the tombs, among the dead. He's away from society. And no one is able to bind him. No one is strong enough. Those are important words as we'll see in just a moment. And he's there and he's uncontrollable, screaming and gashing himself. Now why is he harming himself? The answer, I believe, is because demons, which were once angels and have rebelled against God, they're in rebellion against their maker, and so there is nothing that they hate more than the image of God. They want to destroy the image of God, but of course they can't because humans are created in the image of God. That's part of the structure of creation. They can't undo that. But they can still vandalize it. We live in Chicago. We see vandalism all over the place. I remember when I lived on the west side of Chicago, there'd be broken windows. There would be, uh, you know, the gang markings to, to deface buildings showing their territory. You'd have to get the graffiti busters out there to sand blast off the, the spray paint. Likewise, demons vandalize the image of God. Why? Because every human being that they see is a reminder to them that Yahweh is God and he reigns here. And they don't. Verses 6 through 8. When he saw Jesus from afar, 
he ran and fell down before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. It's interesting that the disciples had asked back in chapter 4, verse 41, Who then is this? Well, the demon answers the question. This is Jesus, the son of the most high God. That's who this is. Here is the divine warrior come in the flesh. He is the one, as we saw back in chapter 3, he is the one who is stronger than the strong man Satan. Here is the one who can bind the evil one when nobody else was strong enough, when nobody else could bind this man, this Unclean spirit just leads the man to fall down in defeat before Jesus. Of course, it's one thing for Jesus to be able to defeat one demon at a time. As we see in verse 9, Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion was about five to 6,000 soldiers. Now, Mark's not telling us there were necessarily that many demons in the man. The point is, this is a whole army of demons here. But even a whole army of demons can't stand before Jesus. In fact... All that they can do is beg Jesus. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him. Think about this. This whole army is just begging Jesus because they know that, that they've got nothing on him. They're saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. There's an irony here that every first century Jew would have understood. Where do unclean spirits belong? Well, a bunch of unclean pigs. They spook the pigs. The pigs run to their death. Mark goes on in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. People came to see what it it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. And saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Think about it for a moment. This man who was demonized, who was, as Luke 8, 27 tells us, he was running around naked, shaming himself. Here he is, clothed, dignified again. He had been out screaming in in the mountains and the tombs, and here he is sitting. Not uncontrollably, but rather in his right mind. Now, we don't know how he had become demonized or possessed by demons, but this certainly ought to give us warning. 
Do not mess with the spiritual realm. Do not mess with the occult or play around with it because it opens you up to the influence or oppression of demons. Well, the people see this man and they're afraid. And we find out why, verse 16. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They tell them what had happened and... Hey, there went all their fortunes right into the lake. So what do they do? Verse 17, they began to beg Jesus. Just as the demons had begged Jesus, so these people are begging Jesus now to depart from their region. And how tragic that is. Here is the Son of God, and they're telling him, get out of here Because he was a financial threat to them. Verses 18 through 20, as he was getting into the boat, he's leaving them like they asked. The man who had been possessed with demons, here's that word again, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. He let the demons do what they wanted. Did what the townspeople wanted. But here this man begs Jesus, but Jesus doesn't permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Jesus didn't let the man go with him because Jesus had another task for him. He was to go and tell them how much God had done for him. But do you notice what Mark says, verse 20? He doesn't go out and tell them how much God has done for him. He says how much Jesus has done for him. Because again, Mark is making clear to us, Jesus is God come in the flesh. When everybody else was cruel to this man, Jesus had mercy, had compassion on him. He restores him to fully bear the image of God that he is. Not just personally, but even more than that, Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them. He's sending them back with two restored relationships because healthy relationships are part of what it means to be in the image of God. You know, whatever you are going through today, whatever you are facing, whatever scars you bear, Jesus came to set us free, to restore you, to bear the image that is stamped upon you, the image of God. Yes, demons are still vandalizing God's image bearers today. Demons inspire people today to do all sorts of things, including harming themselves, cutting themselves. It's more and more common today. And if that's you, if if you're harming yourself in any way, please come come and talk with me or one of our elders. Or or, if you're a lady and you want to speak with a lady, talk with one of our deacons. We want to help you because there is freedom to be found in Jesus, the Son of God. We want to help you to have the abundant life of joy that Jesus alone can give. As we see here, and we'll see in the next couple passages, 
God's not just interested in our souls. He's interested in our physical bodies as well. God made us of matter, made us physical beings. And so our bodies are important to him as well. He didn't make us to be disembodied souls. There's an ancient heresy known as Gnosticism that, that says that the body is unimportant. But throughout the Bible, we see that our bodies are important to God. How you treat your body is important to God because one day, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, the body is going to be fully restored in future glory. And just as Jesus cared for this man, we're going to see that Jesus cared just as much for women as well. You see, Judaism in the first century tended to see women as sort of second-class citizens. But Jesus treated women with dignity, with an equal dignity, an equal importance, an equal value to men. Because God created both man and woman, male and female, in his image. Now, Jesus doesn't cast off the distinctions between men and women. He honors those because, of course, he made them and they're good. We see that Jesus treats these next two ladies with complete dignity. So we ought to as well. So don't fear, but confidently trust Jesus third because Jesus, the compassionate Savior, can give you peace. Look at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. As a father with a daughter, I have to say my heart goes out to this man. And you can hear the desperation in his voice. This is a man who loves his daughter. He calls her affectionately little daughter. And in Luke 8, we find out this is his only daughter. And he's normally a very dignified man, but here he is. He casts himself shamelessly at Jesus' feet because he's in such desperation. Verse 24, Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Here's a woman who is helpless. Nobody can help her. And if you're unfamiliar in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, made clear that if somebody had a bodily discharge, that person was unclean. But not only that, if that person touched you, you became unclean. Or if you touched that person, you became unclean. Or likewise, if you touched something that that person touched, you became unclean. Leviticus 15 verse 25 specifically addresses what this woman is going through. 
says there, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. So think about it. This woman has been much like the man who had the demon. She has been for 12 years a social outcast. She cannot go into the temple and worship God because she's unclean. She cannot be around others and touch them because she would make them unclean as well. I've got to admit my heart goes out to this woman as much as to Jairus. Verses 27 and 28, she had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. You hear this woman, though she apparently is a little superstitious, She does have faith that if she touches Jesus, she will be made well. You know, if the passage ended here, this would be a great show of Jesus' power without anybody realizing it. But this woman's worst fears are realized. You know, she, she fears that she's going to be exposed and certainly with that would come the rejection that she had been facing for many years. Well, verse 30, Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who's touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. This woman knows what's coming. In fact, she's fearing that this great rabbi is now going to turn and at best he's going to scold her. But instead, instead she hears the kindest, gentlest, most compassionate voice. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed Of your disease. He calls her. Daughter. Just as Jairus had called his little girl daughter. He doesn't just say. All right. You're healed. Literally what Jesus says is your faith. Has saved you. It wasn't her superstitious touch it wasn't some magical power no it was that in faith she laid hold of the son of God and Jesus then gives her a blessing beyond what she imagined he says go in peace go in shalom that same completeness that same restoration that same peace that came to the sea now comes to this woman as well You know, amid the chaos, the craziness of life, isn't that what we're longing for and looking for as well? Peace. A peace in our lives, a completeness, a wholeness. Only Jesus can give true peace. 
But that's what he promises his followers. John 14, 27, as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he says to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What is fear? Fear is an absence of peace. We're all looking for peace, but we're so often afraid. Why? Because as sinners, as those who have rebelled against God, as the Lord makes clear in Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace for the wicked. This is why we need a savior. This is why we all need to be saved and restored to God. You know, in compassion, Jesus didn't look on us and be repulsed of us because of our uncleanness. Instead, Jesus, in his mercy and his compassion, what does he do? He comes to us. And though Jesus, by old covenant standard, should have become unclean, instead, Jesus made this woman clean. Well, how does he do that? Because Jesus would take our uncleanness into his own body, into his own flesh on the cross, and would shed his blood to make us clean so that we can stand before God. As Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You know, we fear exposure. We fear rejection. How can you have true peace? Peace with God. Peace within yourself. A peace with others. A peace that overflows into all of life. That sort of peace is found only in Jesus Christ. It's a peace that's found when your sins are forgiven and you are made new. And the Spirit of God comes to live within you and you are robed in the righteousness of Christ so that you don't have to fear exposure or rejection. Today, like this woman, if you haven't, won't you lay hold of Jesus, the Son of God, in faith? Don't fear. Come to Jesus. He won't reject you. And fourth, we don't need to fear. We can confidently trust because Jesus, the life giver, has conquered death. Picking up in verse 35, the worst fear of Jairus is realized due to the delay. And it'd be easy to even forget at this point all that was happening with Jairus and his daughter. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And I can imagine this man with his worst fears realized that the loss of his daughter, he's absolutely crushed, probably just falls to his knees instantly. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. That was their custom. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Just a word and a touch. The Lord of life conquered death. Listen, this isn't a resurrection per se. This girl would die again. But look at the the way that the disciples and and the family are. They're just overcome with amazement. This isn't a time to to mourn. Now it's a time to celebrate. She's alive. They're, They're going to eat with her. You know, as you face the fears of your life, it's easy to look at perhaps the loss that you face or have faced and just to be overcome with the the fear that comes with that, of the unknown, of thinking, you know, I'm never going to see that person again or something like that. Just as Jesus said to this little girl who had died, that she's only sleeping. So, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, those who have fallen asleep in the Lord are what? Asleep. Why? Because death isn't final for the believer. For the believer, immediately, when, when you close your eyes, when you take your final breath, you are with the Lord in paradise, awaiting the return of Christ and the resurrection of the body. Death doesn't have the final word. Jesus does. And so the right response to Jesus is to to trust him, to stand in awe of him. How do you overcome fear? Well, the Bible's very clear. You overcome fear with a greater fear. The fear of the Lord. It is faith in God. Jesus himself is the one who is the resurrection and the life. When I was a child, I actually used to be scared to go into our basement. It was old, it was dark, and there were crevices there. You couldn't see what was there in the darkness. And I was a little kid, I had a big imagination. So, you know, I thought there's probably monsters there or or bad guys or wild animals and they're going to get me and nobody's ever even going to find me. My dad was a Marine, and so I knew that he had been a Marine, and so he was a pretty tough guy. When my dad was with me, I'd go in the basement without a second thought, because dad was there. These four scenes from the life and ministry of Jesus, we've seen the disciples, the demonized man, the woman, the the parents, the child, they're all helpless, they're all hopeless. 
until Jesus is with them. That's what makes all the difference in our lives. So do not fear, but confidently trust in Jesus who has compassion and all power to save and to restore God's peace to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for these scenes from the life of Jesus in which we see who he is. We see what he's come to do. We see that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. So, Father, as we face whatever fears come our way in this life, God, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to remind ourselves and to remind one another of Christ, who is greater. Father, we do pray that if there's anyone here who does not yet know Jesus, that this would be the day that you would open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to the Son of God. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.